Well, we're going to begin our Torah study now, and let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This morning's message is entitled Beyond Fight or Flight, a third option, Lessons from the Life of Jacob. Fight or flight, uh, you're probably familiar with that. It, it's an instinct that kicks in when we're facing threats and dangers or even the possibilities of threat or danger. And it causes us to prepare and causes our bodies and our minds to get ready for action so that we can fight when there's a threat or those who are posing danger to us, or even when we're alert to the possibility. Or the same instincts can, can work in a different way to help us choose flight and to take flight to get away from the threats and dangers to escape, even when we see there's a possibility of that. And often these two, fight and flight, fight or flight, seem to be the only two options that we have, they're instinctive to us, but this week's Torah portion actually presents another option, one that may not even be considered in the moment of threat or danger. And so this morning, let's take time to learn about this third option, and we can do it right now so that if we face threat or danger, we can remember that there is another way. There's another option. Sometimes you need, do need to fight. Sometimes you do need to take flight, but there can be another option. And we'll explore that this morning. Let's start in this week's Torah readings in Genesis 32. And just to remind you of, of the context and background, Jacob has left his father-in-law's employment and the separation between the two was not really pleasant. And now Jacob is heading back to his homeland and his family. More than 20 years, he's been gone. And he's bringing his greater family with him, the one that he established in, um, in Laban's household while he was serving his father-in-law. But going back brings up some difficult history, the conflict between Jacob and his brother Esau. The conflict, if you remember, was evident even when they were in their mother's womb and they were fighting and battling. And it continued and escalated through their childhood and into their early adult years. And so Jacob now is coming back and he makes a decision to be open with his brother about his return. And so he sends messengers to go to his brother in advance and to let Esau know that Jacob is back. It's described in Genesis 32.4. And I would encourage you to join in the comment section and put the scripture citations as we're reading them. Genesis 32, verse 4. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to Esau, his brother, toward the land of Seir, the country of Edom, with these instructions to them. Here is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been living with Laban and I have stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys and flocks, and male and female servants. I am sending to tell this news to my Lord in order to win your favor. So that's the message that his messengers are given, and they 
go out and then they return. Verse seven describes what they say. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we went to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. With him are 400 men. So Jacob is returning with his extended household. That includes his servants, his family members, all their possessions, their flocks and herds. It is a big group. And he's sending word to Esau about his own motivation. What's going on in his heart? How is he thinking about this? And this is what he says to Esau by, by the word of the messengers. He's saying, I want to win your favor. And that word favor in Hebrew, chen, is a very powerful word. It means grace because grace and favor are the same word in Hebrew, but it implies unmerited favor. I don't deserve this. I don't merit it. To say your favor is a reflection of the other person's goodness and their greatness not the speaker. So Jacob is saying to Esau in this way, I want to win you and your goodness and your greatness, and I bring honor to you. I'm not depending on me. I'm not asserting myself. I am humbling myself before you. It's similar to how we relate to God in his favor. Because God's favor is not what we deserve. He pours out favor because of his graciousness, not because of our merit. God's favor is not something we earn. So we, when we come into a right relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua, we're recognizing that the favor of God is unearned from our side, but it is generously and graciously given by God because of his love. And because of that, we're set free from that never ending psychological and spiritual struggle to try to prove we're, we're worthy, to try to prove we're good enough. We just aren't good enough. It's God who is more than good. He is great. We're depending on him, not on ourselves. So back to Jacob, by asking Esau for favor, for hen in Hebrew, Jacob is expressing something that has a lot of nuance, but it would be, I think, well understood by Esau and also by everyone around them. He's saying, Esau, you are greater than I am. I humble myself before you. You see, favor is granted by the greater one to the lesser one. It's not the lesser one who grants favor. It's the lesser one who asks for favor. And it's worth taking note of this because it reveals the, the inner workings of Jacob's heart and mind, his perspective. And he's communicating in a very effective way, I believe. Something that is tender, and something that is um, powerful and significant to his brothers and to this situation. Well, the story continues, Genesis 32, 7. Let's continue reading. The messengers returned to Yaakov, to Jacob, saying, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you with him, our 400 men. And it says, 
Jacob became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, the flocks, the cattle, the camels with him into two camps saying, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, that's how he understood the significance of those 400 men. This, these are fighting forces. If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that's left will escape. And then verse 10, Jacob said, and this is a prayer, it's directed to God, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Yitzchak, Adonai, who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen and I'll do you good. Lord, I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you've shown your servant since I crossed the Jordan with only my staff, but now I've become two camps. Please, Lord, rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers or children. And Lord, you said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many, they can't be counted. So let's reflect on this for a moment. Esau's coming with 400 men. And it appears Esau's coming for a fight. At least he's prepared for a fight. And let's notice how Jacob responds to this news. It, the first response that's recorded is he's greatly afraid and he's distressed because he understands that Esau in bringing 400 men is ready if this is going to be a battle between Jacob and Esau. So Jacob is greatly afraid, he's distressed, and he prepares himself for trouble. However, he doesn't prepare himself for fight or flight. He knows there'll be a moment of reckoning, but Jacob doesn't want to take flight, nor does he want to fight. He doesn't want to risk everything, though in reality, everything may be at risk. So he divides everyone and everything into two camps. And in the worst case, he's thinking out loud, that if Esau and his forces attack one of the camps, the other camp could escape. But really, if the first group is attacked, if Esau and his 400 fighting men are ready to attack, if that's their motivation, there's no guarantee that the second group will be safe or could escape. Some of Esau's men could go after them and it could all be lost. Everything could be lost. So back to the text, what does Jacob do next? It's interesting and it's important to point out this because you may not notice it if you don't think about it carefully. Jacob prays and he prays with real honesty. He's praying and he's exposing his fear. He's exposing his distress. He's aware of the reality of the situation and the potential of the danger and the threat. He has been aware of that. Now he's even more so. He's feeling it internally. He's feeling the emotion of it. He's, he's thinking about it, but he prays. And I think this is really important. He prays not just according to his fear, but according to his faith. And he starts with humility and he says, I'm not worthy. He says to the Lord, you're good. You're far beyond what I deserve. You do good for me that I could never deserve. Lord, you are faithful and I'm trusting in your goodness. And from that, 
position, Jacob goes on and says, rescue me. Rescue me from my brother Esau. Now, this term, my brother Esau, is a significant detail, truly significant. Jacob says, my brother Esau. This is a term of endearment. It's not a term of estrangement, and it's definitely not superiority. In in the life story of Joseph, when the brothers of Joseph report back to their father, Jacob, about the the, um, bloody multicolored coat that they bring him and about what must have happened to Joseph. They refer to Joseph as your son. They don't say our brother. And in the same way, when Yeshua tells the story of the prodigal, the older brother refers to his younger brother, not as his brother, but as his father's son. And in this literary form is really important in the scriptures because it communicates estrangement and distance and even hostility. But Jacob doesn't say that. He doesn't say my father's other son. He says my brother Esau. And he's saying to the Lord, I count him as my brother. And he means something to me. Jacob is not using anything to express his own superiority. He's not saying to the Lord, rescue me because I've been faithful to you. He's not saying, you know Esau and how bad he's been. He doesn't do any of these comparisons, which are self-justifications and self-defense at the spiritual and psychological level. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he humbles himself and he puts himself in a position of honest need of God's favor. And he says, I'm counting on you, Lord. That's his prayer. And then Jacob remains through the night all by himself. Well, sort of all by himself, because in the night, he has this very unusual encounter with a mysterious man, and they wrestle together. And the question is, who is that man he's wrestling with? with? And Jacob's answer is, it was the Lord who he was wrestling with, because Jacob calls the place Peniel, because he says, I have seen the Lord face to face, and I've lived. So this is an encounter that Jacob, not all the rabbis by any means, agree with Jacob, but the scripture says what it says because it's trying to communicate something to us. Many times people say, where is Yeshua in the Torah? And I like to say, we need to look for those moments in Torah when God reveals himself in physical form, with physicality, as a man, where others perceive him as a man, but also perceive it's God. Because that incarnation is what gives us understanding about the incarnation of Yeshua. 
Yeshua's coming to be a kinsman redeemer is subsequent to and built on this foundation of God having come to the patriarchs and to the prophets with physicality in the form of a man. And they had experienced this man, God, God in the form of a man, God taking on human form. And they experienced it not just as vision and not just as dream, but in reality. And in this wrestling that takes place uh, through the night, Jacob is looking for something. He's looking for God's blessing. And God grants that to him. God pours out his favor. You see, Jacob is struggling over something, and that is the favor of God. He wants the favor of God to fully apply to him in every way. And even at this moment, he's looking for the favor of God. Rather than fight or flight, he's pursuing God in the midst of the threat. And he is granted favor. He's granted the blessing. Not every question he asks is answered. He wants to know who is the name of this man, and he doesn't get an answer. At least it's not specifically uh, identified or uh, called out in the text. And at the end of this, the mysterious man, who is later described as the Lord by Jacob, does something in uh, Jacob's body, he touches him in such a way that his hip is injured. And from that moment on, Jacob will walk with a limp. So in the morning, Jacob wakes up. He must have had a little bit of sleep. It's not clear if he really slept, but he gets up and he sends herds and flocks ahead of him as gifts to his brother Esau. And Esau wants to know later when they meet face to face, why did you do this? And he says, Jacob says to him, in order to win your favor. Another way of uh, thinking about it is in order to allow favor to win. I, I like that. That's the way I'm thinking about it, to allow favor to win. You see, Jacob is taking this position, not about fight or flight, but about favor. He wants favor, God's favor to win. And rather than vengeance winning or hatred or anger or bitterness or conflict or any other negative attitude or perspective, and rather than Jacob's strength having victory in a fight or his ability to escape having victory by taking flight, Jacob wants favor to win. And in a way, favor does win. I think it's amazing. You see, there's favor from God on Jacob's life, and he's depending or relying upon that favor. And this is something really important to us. If we are trying to understand how we can navigate successfully through dangers and threats when we realize that fight or flight may not be the option that we need to take. We need to depend on the favor of God. Now, some people in the midst of threat forget the favor of God. They forget the grace of God. They forget that God is there. He's still in charge. And they take matters into their own hands and do things their own way and get ready for fight, get ready for flight, or they freeze up, whatever it is. That's not the best pattern. The very best thing we can do in the midst of uncertainty, of danger, of threat, or the possibility of such 
is to put ourselves in a position of depending on the Lord and staying connected to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just give in to fear, express your fear, but express it to God. This is what it means to cast our anxieties upon the Lord. Rather than internalize them and just mull them over and just be compulsive or obsessive in the way that we're dealing with these matters, we express them in prayer with trust and faith in God. That's what it means to depend on God's favor. It means to go to God and to, with some sense of confidence in the midst of threat, to say, God, I'm depending on you. You've been faithful. You've been gracious. You've been so kind to me, so good to me, far beyond what I could ever deserve. I need you now on those terms. It's not a time to to try to prove that we're better than somebody else. It's not a time to argue about our own spiritual support superiority. When we take that position of spiritual superiority, you know what? We are actually being proud rather than humble, and we are making the favor of God less powerful and less available and less significant to us. But in humility, when we come to God in humility, looking for his favor, and then coming to those around us and looking for their favor, it really is depending and relying on that favor. And you know what happens for Jacob in this situation? God's favor wins out. And also, God's favor together with Esau's favor wins out. So we could say that favor had the victory on that day. But it continues. If you go to the end of this week's Torah reading in Genesis 35, verse 27, it tells us this, that Jacob came home to his father Isaac at Mamre, near Kiryat Arba, that's also known as Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had lived as foreigners. And Isaac lived to be 180 years old. So Jacob and Isaac are restored to each other and live together in that place. Verse 29, then Isaac breathed his last. He died and he was gathered to his people. An old man full of years and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. That is such an important detail. Esau and Jacob joined together to bury their father, Isaac. It is an act of brotherhood that brings honor to their father. It's just like Isaac and Ishmael embracing brotherhood and together burying their father, Abraham. Now, this burying together is really important. Rites of passage are important times for families. Births, weddings, funerals are examples. But it's not only the rite, R-I-T-E, the ceremony and the celebration. What makes them important as well is the passage, the movement, the transition, the transformation. Families gather at those times, even at funerals. They gather, and these can be times not just of sorrow, but they can be times of great healing. Where we gather together, we remember the person's life, who we are bearing, we remember what they stood for, we allow their best qualities to inspire us. But we also know that at such time, emotions are raw, and 
things are opened up and laid bare and visible. The unhealed wounds are also there. But rather than fight or flight as our options at such times, this is an opportunity for healing. And by showing kindness to one another, by comforting others, and also by receiving kindness from others in the family, receiving comfort from each other. Because it's a time of strong emotion, there's potential for healing. Those new experiences of strong emotion and generosity provide an opportunity for reconciliation and healing. There's a change of dynamics and it can bring out the best. Of course, it can bring out the worst in people and sometimes it does. But in this case, in Jacob's case and in Esau's case, it brought out their better qualities. So now back to the question from the beginning of our Torah study today. Fight or flight are often the two instinctive choices that people think they have when they're facing threat or danger and the possibility of threat and danger. So what's the third option that I mentioned? It's not flight, it's not fight, it's not fight or flight. The third option is what I call stand your ground as peacemaker. Stand your ground as peacemaker. Would some of you write that in the comment section right now? As many of you as you can write this in the comment section. Stand your ground as peacemaker. Now, it's not stand your ground like we hear it used in Florida and some other states where if someone threatens me, I don't have to retreat or back off. I can stand my ground. I can defend myself and even use lethal, lethal force if necessary, and be legally justified in that. But understand this, that approach is ultimately a fight response. It's a kind of self-defense, but it is definitely fight. It's not flight. So I'm talking about a very different kind of stand your ground. Stand your ground as peacemaker. Instead of fighting, instead of taking flight, instead of just engaging in self-defense, there's another option to take a stand as a peacemaker, to stand up as a peacemaker, and to stand out as a peacemaker. That's what standing your ground as peacemaker means. And after everything, to stand and to stand your ground as a peacemaker. This draws on your courage. It takes strength. It requires care. It requires awareness of the other person's thinking and feeling. To stand up and to stand out as a peacemaker means to make peace, to do the things of peace, but it's definitely not the same as appeasement. It's not the same as being a scaredy cat. To stand your ground as peacemaker takes courage and strength and creativity and thoughtfulness <coughs> and empathy because you have to think and feel for the other person and how they're thinking and feeling. To stand your ground as a peacemaker means to stay engaged with the other, to show respect and honor to the other, even in the midst of conflict, and to seek peace and to seek favor. Jacob's approach to Esau gives us a glimpse, I think, into the higher calling of the peacemaker. When God shows a person favor, when he shows someone grace and offers them 
his peace and blessing, it can transform their heart, their thinking, and their actions. And that's what happened with Jacob. In that wrestling encounter with the Lord in the middle of the night, God touches Jacob deeply. <clears throat> and Jacob receives favor. And he's showing that he's depending on favor. I love that part so much. Jacob is not just theologically embracing the concept of favor, he's depending on it. In these days of polarization and division, it's good to know the promises of God and the calling of God. It's good to know that peacemakers are blessed. That's Yeshua's position. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jacob goes into his face-to-face -face meeting with Esau, remember, walking with a limp. He walks more slowly than he always has. He walks with less power than before, but he carries the authority of the grace of God with him. He carries the favor of God with him. And my hope is that Jacob's example will inspire us so that we are ready for something more than fight or flight. And, and my prayer is this, may God bless you with such a heart and such a mind <clears throat> that in these days of challenge, you would find the favor of God and you would be a promoter of the favor of God to others in Yeshua's name. <clears throat> well, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing, but first I want to Thank you again for considering a generous contribution. You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. Now let's close with Aaron's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and guard you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you, and may the Lord be gracious to you with all of his favor. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Mm -hmm. So from Sandy and me, I want to thank you for joining us today. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.